Thank you for downloading the Wings Museum podcast. This time, we've managed to catch up with museum co-curator Daniel Hunt. I started by asking him about some big changes for 2019. One of the major changes here at the Wings Museum for 2019 is that we have decided to be open six days a week, Tuesdays to Sundays, so we have one day off, which is a Monday. And the reason for doing that, really, is to make the museum more available to school parties, um, members of the public, people that really um, have been coming from all over Europe. I mean, yesterday we had someone in from uh, Germany, Belgium and America, so I suppose being near Gatwick Airport, we are going to get quite a few sort of um, people that are out and about, but it's quite surprising really how they kind of hear about the museum. Well, that, that's, that's the, the, the benefit of the internet and all the social media and things these days is that uh, word does travel well, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah, and the podcasts, of course. And the podcast, well, hopefully, yep. yes. <laughs> yeah, so the, yeah, the internet is very useful to the museum for many reasons, not just promoting the museum, but the uh, TripAdvisor comments that the museum gets, they're always honest because people are making those comments at home as opposed to <laughs> in front of you in front of <laughs> yeah. You. yeah so we always value those comments and uh, we kind of monitor them um, to see if there's anything that we can do better really I suppose but um, and presumably being open six days a week is one of those things that it, it means people can stumble across you a little bit more exactly I mean, with, yeah. with the signage around on the local roads, yep. people see a sign and follow it and find you shut. That's not necessarily yeah. quite so useful. Yeah, that's it. it. Um, I, mean, I mean, it's only literally this is the fourth week of announcing it. Um, so, so far, it's uh, it's going quite well actually. We're sort of surprised really, and even we can never work out that we can get a really glorious sort of sunny day, and the museum Unlike can be today. full. <laughs> you know, you would think that the museum wouldn't be full on a sunny day that yeah. everybody would be outside enjoying the sunshine, but. We can never work out how it works. We can never predict what will be a busy day and what will be a quiet day. So we're always looking for uh, new front of house volunteers and staff, especially now we're open six days a week. That's presumably uh, one of the big challenges at the moment. Yes, um, because, you know, it is obviously the sort of current sort of front of house staff that we have um, it is stretching our resources. But, you know, we do realise that we will pick up new volunteers as we move along so we're always keen to hear from any listeners that <laughs> might might fancy uh, getting involved in the museum you don't really have to be an expert on the subject because you know everything is quite well comprehensively labelled you know but you just got to be interested really friendly you know the smiley faces yeah, people exactly. coming through the front door yeah and I'll, I'll say that going back to the TripAdvisor comments that people do remark upon the friendly, knowledgeable volunteers. So, you know, that is always good to see. And that is a very common, positive remark that's made on TripAdvisor. So, um, And to be fair, it may well be that you don't have a huge amount of knowledge when you start volunteering. Yes. But, you know, once you've been here for a while, yep. I mean, you have a look around more and more yourself, you find out more things by talking to the other volunteers, and you're actually learning quite a lot while you're volunteering. Yes, absolutely, because, uh, you know, when, when there's, there's a quiet moment, a volunteer will just have a little wander around and they'll, they'll read a new display. Um, it might be something that they're interested in and they'll kind of, like, find a couple of displays that they're knowledgeable about and learn about and then they'll just 
point out to people. Like one of the big things to point out is that the Dakota fuselage in the museum. Hard to miss. Is um, a it's a real warbird. It saw service with the Americans in 1943, but also it's a bit of a film star as well, in that it was used in the filming of Band of Brothers and uh, it was actually used in the Quantum of Solace Bond film as well. All right, more recent, yes. Um, and we actually had one lady come all the way from uh, Devon just to sit in the seat um, that Daniel Craig had sat in, and then she left again and didn't look at anything else in the museum, but she went away happy, so... It takes all sorts. Well, yes, exactly. A wide, wide um, range of different reasons for people visiting. <laughs> yeah, we don't get too many of those kind of uh, visitors. I mean, most people are, are are here because they're interested in like the local history. They're not necessarily aviation followers in, in you know in many ways. But there are a lot of subjects here. It's not just an aircraft museum. Mm. There's D-Day. You know, the Blitz, the Home Guard, the Women's Services. You know, it's important to tell the whole story of World War II, not just, you know, certain elements of it, because it, it all relates together. And yet, when I speak to the various volunteers, a lot of them come in with one or two specific interests. A couple of the people are particularly interested in the Battle of Britain. Yes, there is. We have one volunteer, actually, which is very keen on the Battle of Britain. And that's a good thing, because... He's very knowledgeable about it, and he talks to a lot of our visitors about the Battle of Britain and kind of explains how the battle was played out, um, how desperate it was, and what fended off the enemy from our shores and enabled us to kind of pick up the pieces four years later to move on to actually invading occupied Europe and taking it all the way to Berlin, which is quite... a uh, a remarkable turnaround of circumstances, really, when you just think how desperate it was in 1940. You know, then we've got other volunteers that um, know a bit more about the Dakota. Um, you know, we've, we have one of our volunteers was even used to be an air hostess in a, really? in a Dakota in a C-47. So, you know, she's able to sort of tell a different side of it. But it's all interesting, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and almost every time you visit the museum you kind of get a little different taste of it from different volunteers. So we're a couple of months into the 2019 season, as it were. What exciting things have we got coming up? We've got uh, a few events planned this year. Uh, one of the major events is running up uh, the Wings Museum Merlin engine, which we title the Bomber Command Memorial Merlin engine. It was excavated from a swamp in Germany. The four engines were found while the German EOD were clearing ordnance from the site. They contacted the museum and uh, we were able to recover the engines, but the important thing is, is, that, is the remembrance of the crew, because they were all killed in this crash, and one of the engines has been restored um, here at the museum but also up at uh, Flight International in Leeds have done a lot of specialist welding and it's enabled 90% of the engine to be repaired and to live again so we run that up in remembrance of the crew we read the names of the crew out and their ages then we do a minute silence and then the silence is broken by the sound of the Merlin firing up which is you know exactly the engine that those poor lads were battling with to try and get home in one piece. So 
you and know, it, it does bring a bit of a lump like it on to that the throat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's one. We're also, I'm at the moment talking to a few aircrew, uh, new aircrew that are associated to the C-47 Dakota or the Skytrain, as the Americans called it, with a view of around about the kind of D-Day celebrations to get them here at the museum to sit in front of the Dakota talk to people tell stories maybe sign books for sort of visitors Mm -hmm. and we've also potentially got a reenactment group that might come down on that day as well the event will be on the 29th of June so that's Saturday I believe that's Armed Forces Day so yes we'd we sort of uh, welcome as many people to come and witness that we hope the weather's going to be all right we can never guarantee that but it will go ahead regardless of the weather so that's d-day and an engine run uh dakota lots of things for people to see on that one day yes that's right that's one of our major events we are doing other events throughout the year a new one that we're trying is called night at the museum that come Not about. related to the film. <laughs> no, no. I could, well, we don't have any dinosaurs that come alive, thankfully. But, um, but, it, but that stemmed from working here in the evenings. You know, I, I would sort of work late on displays and things, and you know, would have a few volunteers with me. And the place certainly does take on a different feel at night time with the lights. Positively spooky, I'd imagine. Um, it, it is a little bit, but not in a not in a negative way. Not um, in a Scooby Doo way. No, exactly, but. It also gives an opportunity for just people to see the museum sort of in a different kind of sort of scenario and um, yeah you might you might say that some people might say that it's a, a bit spooky but and there are certainly one volunteer that I could name but I won't who won't walk out the back in the dark on his own <laughs> and, <this laughs> and that's in daylight <laughs> yeah and I think he's about 32 so he really should really should know better than that but <laughs> that um, really does narrow it down <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, yeah. it's uh, one of those things that I think when I'm here in the evening, it's just got quite an impressive... It's silent, it's quite quiet, you know, and it just has a totally different atmosphere. And to be fair, it does give people a chance to come who might not be able to come during the day. Well, absolutely, yeah. We're, we're actually running it from 6 o'clock so that uh, families can, can come along, but we're going right up to 10 o'clock so that, uh, you know, people can come along maybe after a, a long day shift or... <laughs> but, yeah, it's again, it's just about doing something a little bit different and making it available for different people. So what uh, nights are these happening? Um, well, I mean, obviously, we have to wait for it to kind of... Uh, for the year to sort of get on a little bit where it's sort of dark. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> yeah, it generally 10 o'clock at work. night. And, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's because 10 o'clock at night on a summer's day <laughs> would have probably pretty much the same feeling as it would during the day, but... The first um, night at the museum event is uh, on Wednesday, the 23rd of October, uh, 2019. And we kick that off at 6 p.m. And that runs up until 10 p.m. So that gives plenty of opportunity for people to come down. And then there's another one again, another opportunity on Wednesday, the 6th of November. Again, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. So do people need to book this or is it just turn up? Um, Just turn up. Um, No need to book just be normal entrance fees we hope to see a few people down here we haven't arranged as yet any surprises like volunteers hiding in air raid shelters and things like that um i think we'd be a little bit concerned that we might worry the kids by doing that and some more of the adults i'd imagine absolutely yeah (laughs) the last time we spoke we were talking about um 
Remembrance and the museum. Now, you've just got back from Belgium, where that is sort of front and centre, really, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Um, we've actually sort of been working in Belgium for many years now, since uh, I think the first memorial that we unveiled out there was in uh, 1994. And uh, the sort of reason that we primarily work in Belgium was that we receive a lot of requests from the families of air crews who are very keen to know exactly where the aircraft crashed. Um, and we will actually uh, go out there um, and using the sort of friends and contacts that we have, we will locate the crash sites. And uh, so, so is Belgium quite a hot spot for these kind of um, crashes? Um, yeah, I mean, all over Europe is, but the reason Belgium in particular is because of the kind of support we get from the people there. Mm-hmm. They are very keen to cooperate because they are an occupied country. They remember the sacrifices that were made. So they very much help us in the work that we do out there. And just recently, as I say, we've just come back from Belgium where we unveiled, I believe it's our seventh memorial in Belgium, mm-hmm. and that was to the crew of a Handley Page Hamden bomber. Um, the serial number was AE244, and it was from 408 Canadian uh, Royal Canadian Air Force Squadron. And I'll just read the crew names because I always feel that's important. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are still trying to f- trace some of the family members of these um, crews because you know they will be out there somewhere and they will be unaware of this new memorial. And um, as the generations pass over, they become more inquisitive. They want to know about their family yeah, history. Yeah. So uh, I will read these and, names. And to be fair, the information is more accessible, isn't it? So, yes, hopefully yeah, get through to exactly. the right person. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and the website very sort of very much helps that but the pilot was sergeant orville nelson he was royal canadian air force um, the observer was sergeant herbert war royal australian air force and the air gunner was flight sergeant clarence lloyd and he was royal canadian air force and the wireless operator stroke gunner was sergeant harold price and he was uh, royal air force so he was the british man on board so quite a mixed nationality yeah, crew you yeah. might say so so of those which was the gentleman who managed to survive? That was Orville Nelson, and I actually have uh, written down here a recollection of what he remembers. He he died uh, some years ago, but fortunately he did record his memoirs of what happened that night. And it says, We were blinded by the lights and had to take evasive action, going down from around 1,600 feet to the rooftops to get out of the master searchlight. After we were out of the lights, we set course for England and climbed back to 1,500 feet, taking evasive action by changing courses and heights to prevent night fighters from finding us, if possible. Then their luck ran out because at 3.30 in the morning, uh, a BF-110 night fighter had intercepted them and it opened fire and the aircraft was immediately set on fire. And again, Orville Nelson, in his words, uh, says the following... Things seemed to happen so fast. The first indication I had that anything was wrong, I heard guns firing. Although I did not see another plane, the next thing I knew our plane was in flames on the port side. The fire extinguisher did not put out the fire. I gave the order for everyone to bail out. I never heard a sound from the rest of the crew, so I am inclined to think that the intercom was out of commission. I'm not sure how long before the crash that I bailed out. All I can say is that it got so hot to stay in the plane. It was not long after that that I bailed out that I heard the crash. 
um, and he evaded for five days, but uh, he was eventually captured. So he's having got out, he'd been parachuted out. Yes. The way that these things tended to work was that you would hope that you would find the right person to help you get home. Yes, I think, I believe he sort of stuck to railway lines and he went through several swamps trying to keep out of sight. Um, and he did this for about five days and eventually he approached a farmer working in a field who refused to talk to him and I think it became apparent why and that was because the area, there were lots of Germans in the area and he actually recalls that he was very soon after that approached by a soldier on a bike with a rifle and right. uh, yes. which was very quickly pointed mm. at him and uh, so he'd been caught and he'd become a prisoner of war but at least then did then survive the war. Absolutely, yeah. Unlike his uh, fellow crew members that all, all paid the price and, you know, were all tragically killed. But there is, you know, at least there is now a memorial at the crash site that uh, local people will remember them and remember the names and sort of remember the sacrifices that were made at that mm. spot. So just briefly again, the, the, the three names... On the memorials are yep, which just, ones, just in case anyone uh, wasn't writing it down when we yeah. mentioned them a minute ago? That's uh, the pilot was Sergeant Orville Nelson, Royal Canadian Air Force. He was the one that survived. Then we had the observer, and that he, his name was Sergeant Herbert War, and he was uh, Royal Australian Air Force. Then we had the wireless operator stroke air gunner. He was Flight Sergeant Clarence Lloyd, and he was Canadian, Royal Canadian Air Force and wireless operator, air gunner, Sergeant Harold Price, who was uh, RAF Volunteer Reserve. Yeah, so it'd be, it'd be very good to get in touch with people who, even if they know of these people rather than being family, but it's... Yeah, also there might be someone out there that um, has access to genealogy programmes and might sort of fancy the challenge of trying to find some of the family members um, associated to these crew, but... You know, it would be nice for them to know that they are remembered, they're not forgotten, and they often do, um, they re-commemorate these sites on anniversaries. So, you know, if they're aware that there is a memorial out there, then they will have the opportunity, if, if they wish, to go out and see exactly where it all happened. Would I be right in thinking that on the Wings Museum Facebook page there are photographs and things of the memorial? Yes, there are some photographs there and some information relating to the memorial. I will be very soon, um, hot off the press, putting some videos up as well. There you go. So if, if anyone does have any connection with these people, for, forward it on to people who may know more and uh, let's see if we can find them. Yep, that would be great. We were actually 10 years trying to find the crash site of that particular wow. aircraft. Yeah. Um, you, you were looking for that one for a particular reason? or um, it, it was really whilst we've been investigating other aircraft in the area um, as a direct request from the families we were told about this particular crash um, not a lot of people knew very much about it they certainly didn't know exactly where it was so we thought we would uh, while we were over there try and maximize you know our sort of efforts and try and locate it but yeah. we failed um, a few times actually but we would keep returning every time we were in Belgium for another memorial we would spare a bit of time to return and give it another go and on one particular weekend uh, we had a Canadian with us and he was the uh, the cousin of one of the of the crew that was killed in another aircraft 
bear with me, it's getting complicated. <laughs> yes, I'm following. <laughs> um, and that was a Sterling, but he was out with us. He heard that we were going out to do some metal detecting in the fields to try and find this Hamden. He said, could I come with you? So we gave him a metal detector and he wandered off like a crazy Canadian. And he come back with pieces of metal in his hand. And uh, it transpired that uh, his very first um, area that he walked to, he had actually found it. Wow. So, um, yeah, so we, we were over the moon, basically. Yeah, yeah. And we were able to uh, pinpoint the exact crash site. And then having done that, and we were able to confirm that it was a Hamden bomber, because you need to find evidence. There's so many crashes out there. You can't make assumptions. I mean, for example, if you imagine raising a memorial in the wrong place to the wrong crew, you know, that yeah, is not yeah. something you want to be doing. So no. the pieces of metal that we find have little stamped numbers, part numbers, that will identify the type of aircraft. Also, the ammunition that you find has dates on it, which right. <laughs> obviously if the ammunition post-dates the crash you're looking for, then you know it's, it's you know, it's clear, not, yeah, yeah it, you, you, you know, you're at the wrong site. Mm. We'd found that, and there was a local eyewitness, uh, Jack Bone, um, who lives in the area, and he actually went to the crash site as a 13-year-old boy, and uh, he remembers what he saw there. But unfortunately, the landscape had changed so much, he, he, he had forgotten exactly where it was. Mm, understandable. But, yeah, I mean, having witnessed what he saw, um, you know, a scene of devastation, he, I think it affected him and he, you know it was still very much in the sort of forefront of his mind but he is now uh, 92 and mm. he was very keen for there to be a memorial there so now you're back uh, museum open six days a week uh, what, what else has been going on um, there's been, been a few things going on. Uh, fairly recently, we had some uh, bomb cases donated. Right. Um, to <laughs> that us. doesn't happen every day, I imagine. No, um, especially the quantity. There's about six of them, and they are include German, uh, American, and British bombs, which it all makes sense when I tell you the story behind them. But basically, there was a bomb disposal training school at Broadbridge Heath. All right, so quite local. Um, yeah, and they've, they've been, uh, it's kind of finished now, but they were digging down there to, um, I think they're putting in some new facilities. I'm not sure exactly what it is they're building, but they were digging a hole and then uh, out popped these bombs. Um, right. So, of course, EOD um, got involved and uh, quite fortunate for the museum that um, one of the guys is actually a friend of ours. Right, always useful. <laughs> so he was able to secure a few of them and he dropped them off to the museum um, just a couple of Saturdays ago in front of a, a crowd of visitors, which caused quite, a, <laughs> yeah, quite a scene. Something was expected. Yeah. You've got a sign written bomb disposal vehicle dropping off bombs at the museum, you know, as you do. But yeah. basically, they are unique because they, you know, often now, if they're found in a live state, they are so dangerous that they just blow them up they don't risk they're a bit temperamental to, aren't they yes. no yeah i mean exactly i mean at the end of the day it's a piece of metal it's not worth somebody's life but with these they were inert because they were training aids so they were basically they buried them underground and then let the recruits dig down to them and <laughs> deal with you know what, whatever the scenario might have been so we've received those very recently but we're also cracking on with the restoration of a 
Bell P63 King Cobra. Mm-hmm. Um, we recovered six of them from Russia, probably well, it's probably getting on to 20, maybe even 25 years ago. And uh, one of those we've been restoring. We've pretty much completed the cockpit area and we've moved on to the centre section. And as part of that, we had um, a local artist and he volunteered to do a piece of artwork to show what it would have looked like. Mm -hmm. Um, And he did a fantastic job when he presented that a couple of weeks ago here at the museum. It was very impressive. His name was uh, Paul Whitehouse and he's a local artist, so I'll just give him a little plug because he's done a a superb job on Mm -hmm. that. Gives us... um, a kind of idea in our head now we've got to make the aircraft look like that um, that's <laughs> a challenge, the challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly but um he's very kindly agreed to do some nose art on our uh, american a26 douglas invader cockpit which i'm looking at now and is a very silver shiny Aircraft. It is currently a blank canvas. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to, to an artist. <laughs> um, and again, it, it's got a World War Two combat history. Um, it, it wasn't named during the war. We know that much. But we're going to give it a Wings Museum fictitious name because it's suitable name. Yeah, exactly. Nothing too rude. But uh, it, you know, it just adds a bit of character and it kind of. Um, you know, sort of highlights those sort of times where, you know, the Americans had it painted on the backs of their jackets and, you know, you name it. But he's actually preparing that now and uh, it's certainly the first time he's ever painted on an aircraft. So, uh, um, interesting all round, won't well, we it? Hope, yeah. We hope he does a good job. Well, I'm, <laughs> yeah, no pressure, Paul. But, uh, yeah, I, I've certainly seen the initial sketches and it's going to look fantastic. And because, you know, the easiest way to do it would be to just get a vinyl sticker and stick it on. But of course, it covers all the rivets up. Doesn't It's not how it would have been. Not authentic, no. No, no. so he's actually going to paint this on the aircraft in oils. So uh, that might be quite an interesting uh, day as well for yeah, people to yeah. come down and see an artist at and work. And he'll get it all done in one day, will he? I'm not sure. I should imagine he'll endeavour to do so. So basically things are still moving along. Uh, new things every time I come down here. And obviously being open six days a week now, it's actually quite nice to see more people here as well. So open six days a week, very important to get that message across, I think. Yep. <laughs> do come down and visit. Yeah, that's right, yes. I mean, I'll just say again, we're open six days a week. Are you open six days a week? Yeah, we are, <laughs> yes. Um, Tuesdays to Sundays, so uh, we're closed on a Monday, but we are very keen to hear from anybody that uh, might be able to help us on sort of front of the house, whether they could spare a bit of time at the weekend or weekdays. Um, we would like to hear from anybody that just might like to be part of the Wings team. Thank you for listening to the Wings Museum podcast. For more information or to get in touch, visit www.wingsmuseum.co.uk.